go. My finest move, I'm on a roll. I'm running. I'm running. The victory hex is in front of me. I'm running. I'm going to go for it. training, all my hard work, all coming down to this one great moment. Jeff, you're running through the open ground. I can do it, Dave. I can do it. It's everything I've worked for. But Jeff, that's a 20 neg two shot. You'll never make it. The victory hex is within sight. I'm going for it. That didn't work out so well. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm Dave. And I'm Erin. And this show is dedicated 100% kind of to the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader! And we are your hosts, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And you were expecting Jeff, maybe. But Jeff's not here, so Aaron's filling in. Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? Ten. My birthday's tomorrow, though, so I'm turning 11. All right, and happy birthday to you. As Thank your you. special birthday gift, I'm going to allow you to do this show with me and uh, email Jeff and tell him to stay home. Okay. All That'll right. That'll be exciting. Sorry, Jeff. We'll get you on next time. And so, well, we got a lot in store for the listeners, don't we, Aaron? Yes, we do. Are you going to stay the whole time? No. Okay. I'll let you go up and play games or something. Um, can you just help me do maybe the letters? Sure. Maybe a little more than that? Yeah. All right, here we go then. It's time for... The Two Half Squads Letters. Yay! All right, Aaron, why don't you take the first letter? All right. Anonymous says, Don Greenwood was interviewed at Point Two Point and offers perspectives on the development of ASL. Oh, well, we were looking for an interview with Don Greenwood. you know who he is, Aaron? Have no idea. <laughs> Don't you remember, like, back in 1979 or 85 or 89 or something, he was involved in the development of the ASL game? I wasn't alive then. Oh, okay. FYI. Well, uh, Point to Point is a, uh, he was, well, he was involved in the development of the ASL game, and Point to Point is another podcast, so we can link that podcast for our listeners. What do you say? Awesome. Great. Then I have a letter. Well, Aaron, you know, a while back, one of the guys involved in ASL, um, Bill Connor, passed away. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, some of the listeners on Game Squad forums had posted uh, some comments I thought I'd share uh, that they thought that the historical record of the game that the, we compile here at the two half squads is going to increase in importance as we get older. Now, of course, that has more meaning for older people like us, not young people like you, Aaron. <laughs> but it's a great use of the new medium, and the podcast provides intimacy that the printed media can seldom match. And they say that let's hope Dave and Jeff can continue to find time to continue up their good work and we will certainly plan to. We'd like to get a lot more interviews with a lot of the big names in the game and get all that recorded for posterity. Do you know what posterity means, Aaron? Mm, kind of. Not really. <laughs> for the future. Oh. Kind okay. of. All right, well, and then you have a letter here. This is from Andrew Cohen. Hi, guys. I, li- I listened to the... February 4th and the February 21st shows enjoyed the Von Ryan Express movie review and the overview of the Night Rules. 
I like how you both work in books, movies, and put music into your shows. After the show, I checked out the MMP website and Festung Budapest is available, albeit with a hefty price tag. However, in regard to the component question, the maps look really good and have larger hexes, a nice touch. It also seems that the module is standalone so that it can be played with just the rulebook and beyond Valor. One of the cool thing of things about ASL is once you grok the rules, then you can play a huge variety of games. On the other hand, ASL requires a large investment in time and, ca in time and cash. It's almost a hobby unto itself. Keep up the good work. From Andy. Go Canes! Well, we will keep up the good work. Thanks, Andy. Go Canes. What do you think he means? I have no idea. Hurricanes? For the sports team? I don't... Yeah, probably. Maybe so. And he adds a little link here to some tutorials, which if I remember, I'll put that on the show. Those uh, were some tutorials that I had um, twitted those out earlier, but we'll maybe try and link them here. I like the fact if he says that it's true Festung Budapest is a standalone game, that would be a great idea, meaning you don't have to buy previous games that exist in the system to play it. You would just need the rule book. And it also, on the box, they usually list all the things that you need to put in, uh, that you need to own to play the game. So it'll say, like, you need to own Yanks, Paratrooper, Beyond Valor, whatever. And so that might be true. I haven't got my copy yet. I think it's in the mail now as we speak. And it is true that ASL requires an investment in time and cash, but, you know, you could just play it with a few simple games. You don't have to get every game in the system. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a hobby unto itself. For me, it certainly is. So, Well, I think I have a letter over here, Aaron. All right, Matthew says, Morocco. Hi, guys. I hope you realize that everybody keeps pressing the doll just to mess with your heads. Well, we, we certainly hope so. Love your show. Keep up the banter. Reviews of Aurora Model Kits. Reissue of the, is the Atlantis Bison. And keep the doll choice. Well, all right, I was trying to take it off the last time I posted by myself, but um, one question. Did either of you ever sit for an ASL box art painting? Just wondering, is that your face on any of the new box art? Winter Offensive 2012 German in the back of the 251. Is that you, Dave? And I had, yeah, thank you, Matt, for that. Um, he says he just started to play ASL and attended the West Coast Melee, and thanks to the podcast. So keep it up. We're doing the Lord's work. Well, I don't know if it's the Lord's work, but we're doing some work. And... Um, hey, the Aurora old Aurora kit reviews. Maybe I'll put another one in the show. But that's not really about ASL, is it, Aaron? No. No. <laughs> not at all. And about the box art painting, did I pose for a painting yet that you know of, Aaron? I don't think so. Did you? No, I did not. For okay. sure, you would know that if I did. Yeah. So, no, I'm afraid we have not. We're gonna have to be able to travel over to. I think it was. Virginia, where the artist who did the box art lives, and we're not going to make it there for a little while yet, but <laughs> yeah, maybe I someday. <laughs> now there's a letter from Joshua Spielman. Jeff and Dave, I love the show. I got into ASL about three years ago with the starter kits and moved to full rules about a year ago. I first found out about ASL from BoardGameGeek.com, and from there I also discovered your podcast. You guys were just starting then, but I listened to get to get more informed about the game before I started jumping into it. You guys have such an infectious love for the game, and I, in part, decided to take up the hobby from listening to you guys talk about it. Keep up the good work, and ignore, and ignore those people who keep hitting the dull button. Well, a second vote against those bad, dull, naysayer, evil, mean old people. Joshua, you are very smart. Yes, they are very mean for hitting the dull button. Yeah, so maybe we'll have to leave it on there. And earlier, the letter you read, Aaron, had a PS. He said he was 45 years old. When a previous show, we did ask for the ages of our listeners, and we're getting more responses to comments about the dull button than we are to the question about how old are you gaming out there. So if we have listeners who are younger, like younger than, I think, 40, would you let us know, please, what your age is so we can get a little gauge of how many young guys are out there and how many young folk are listening to the show. 
It's always nice to keep count. Yes, it is. <laughs> the ages. And I have a <laughs> notification that we received from... Uh, oh, it doesn't say, does it, Aaron? Nope. Maybe this was posted on the comments, but it says, Kiribati, first nation to be swallowed up by the sea... And it is a video. It was loaded onto YouTube. And it was an article from Crooks and Liars that is talking about what is Tarawa, the island located in the South Pacific, being swallowed up by the ocean. That's and scary. so, actually, I don't remember the. Yes, it is Tarawa. Most of its 113,000 people are crammed onto Tarawa, the administrative center, a chain of islets which curve into a horseshoe shape around a lagoon. And uh, Mr. Tong is saying, there's no way out of this. Our people have to move as the tides have reached our homes and villages. And the Kiribati government has launched an educational program for its people with the goal of giving them skills to find employment in Fiji in order to survive. And so sadly, it sounds like Tarawa may be swallowed up by the sea. And do you know what happened at Tarawa, Aaron? Nope. It was a big battle site from World War II, and I'll be oh, teaching you all dear. about it someday soon. That's terrible. It is, with oh. the rising sea levels, huh? Yeah, very. So we'll try and put a link for scary. that one up. And Aaron has one here to read. Alrighty, this one's from Anthony. He says, I began listening to your podcast about a month ago, and I'm up to eight, op- episode 87, 37. I began listening because I love war games, and someone posted that your podcast was worth listening to, even if you didn't play ASL, which I didn't. Wow, neat. I have played many tactical World War II games and tried ASLSK last year. I felt that it was too much for my lifestyle and not, and likely not worth the investment of time it would take to be good at it. I did, however, have a good teacher that I found... Randy Rossi here in my community. He grace, he graciously met with me and patiently showed me the ropes. He's an ideal teacher, but I just wasn't ready. Well, that's too bad. Then, about six months later, I began listening to your podcast, and I was struck by how funny, how funny, real, and entertaining you both are. This demeanor made ASL seem more approachable. I guess you show me that the game is about having fun and being part of a community. So I got the ASLSK number one out and played it again. It started to click. Listening to the podcast had had the impact of immersing me in the culture and language. I recently contacted Randy for another lesson. I am on my way. Excellent. We are so glad to hear that, and we want to thank you for your kind donation, Anthony. And your letter really encouraged me. And Aaron's trying to be as funny as Jeff, aren't you, Aaron? Yeah, sure. But it's awful <laughs> hard to be as funny as Jeff, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we're doing the best we can, Anthony, to keep this light and entertaining. But we want to thank you so much for your kind donation and for your words of encouragement. Thanks. Well, that's it for letters. Yeah, that's probably enough for tonight. I'll save the rest and do them with Jeff when he returns. Yep. Well, Aaron, you're going to stay and do the rest of the show with me for the next two hours? No. All right. Well, pretty emphatic about that. So we're going to go do a little computer time, and then you know it's going to be bedtime, buddy. Aw. So I'll be taking a break and coming up and tucking you in soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye, Aaron. Bye. And there he went, a most wonderful little man. Now he's upstairs fighting with his brother already. Well, you know, listeners, I was going back through the shows, making, uh, adding to our little list of what's in each episode, and I couldn't find a little ditty I had done called Ring of Fire. And so, I thought, I'd just play that now, even if I played it once again before, then it's worth hearing twice. So here it is, from the song contest, Ring of Fire, by Dennis Donovan, otherwise known as Sergeant Schwartz. My friend, make sure to bring scenarios 
that had some bling. Flamethrowers and barbed wire. Just like the one called Ring of Fire. I want to play K.E.'s Ring of Fire. Said, wow, 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 and my voice got higher. It's six turns, 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 down to the wire, the ring of fire. Talked him into playing Ring of Fire. I'll throw down, down, down when the stakes get higher. And he'll learn, learn, learn. Baptism of Fire, trial by fire. DOT Poro is sweet. SS and Brits do meet. with flamethrowers wild Oh, and the east he smiled I thought I could fight fire with fire in the town, town, town and break the quagmire and got burns, burns, burns with his first fire and subsequent fire Hectus the Brits into the ring of fire. Morale went down, down, down when things got dire. And I yearned, yearned, yearned for artillery fire in this funeral pyre. And got burns, burns, burns in ring of fire. Well, thanks, listeners, and special thanks to the Two Half Squad singer for that beautiful rendition. And now it's time for a movie review. We shall seize the bridges, it's all a question of bridges, with Thunderclap surprise. I love the smell of my pub in the morning. It smells like... movie review is Patton. Yes, the wonderful Patton. That fantastic movie. Well, am I showing my hand too much by saying that fantastic movie? Either way, I can almost hear those beautiful strands of music by Jerry Goldsmith. That great music echoing off the hills. You know, that Da, 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 da. I can almost hear it myself right now. Well, historically, I made some notes about this film. I thought that the tanks used didn't look like Sherman's. Were they patent tanks? They seemed to have flat, roundy turrets. And if any of you listeners can tell me what kind of planes were used, let me know. I, I kind of looked around online and didn't find too much. And when the planes came in and strafed George Patton as he stepped out into the street with his pistols aimed at a German plane... Uh, before that, when they were shooting the room, I noticed that the the building they stra- they strafed Patton in the building, and the bullets went sideways and not up and down across the building. And it struck me like that didn't seem very realistic. If the plane was coming, you know, if you're doing a strafe and run, your bullets can hit the ground floor and then shoot up to the first and second floor. Doesn't that apply when you're making a movie or in real life? I don't know. Maybe the plane was making a turn or something, but. And then, in the film, 
they show Patton shooting some donkeys on a bridge. Now, I never did hear of that one myself. And, uh, again, did a little online research, didn't come up with much. So, listeners, you can let me know if that was historically accurate or not. Hard to say how accurate it is overall, but many many who knew Patton had di- had said that it was pretty good at capturing his, his essence. This bold, gruff, uh, eccentric leader. And that Patton was a hard man to figure out in real life. And so the films... Um, seemed to glorify his toughness while showing him also as this ruthless guy and he's ruthless with the lives of his men and of course we have the, the scene where Patton goes in and he slaps the coward, the, the man shaken from shell shock or post-traumatic stress syndrome and he slaps him in the in the hospital there and so we see that side of George Patton and then later he, he kisses the hero who's dazed on the battlefield and I um, you know, so here he is, this man who's multifaceted. He's very, very difficult to, to figure out exactly what he really is at heart, and uh, or maybe he's all these things. And of course, I was teaching my students about World War II and passing around my miniatures of the generals, and I passed George Patton around. I told a lot about George Patton and Eisenhower. Told a little bit about Eisenhower and Bradley, and didn't tell much about Bradley. Why? Because I don't know that much about Bradley. And I pointed out to the kids that. Being a colorful character like George Patton is going to, um, you know, make you more likely to be the subject of a major motion picture. And anyway, so I thought that was an interesting uh, take. But people who, again, knew Patton had said that the film pretty well captured his essence. Now, what I found fascinating in the film was I didn't know that Patton wrote the poem Through a Glass Darkly, and then it kind of encapsulated his reincarnation ideas in this poem kind of puts it all in there and at first I thought this film would be too slow for my son Adam who was watching it with me you know we've been watching some war films together haven't we Adam? Yes we have Oh look who's here Adam's here well Adam you remember watching um, The Longest Day it was a black and white film with the D-Day landings Yes I do I love that movie Ah good and do you remember the bridge was that a bridge too far we saw or the um... oh no The Great Escape do you remember that one? Yes, and we also saw Bridge Too Far. We did see both together. Mm-hmm. You like those also? Yeah, those are very good films. And you really like the escape films, don't you? Mm-hmm, those are entertaining. And, um, well, when we watched Patton, at first I thought, well, this is too slow for you because it showed a lot of his talking to the generals, talking, talking, mm-hmm. talking, talking, boring, talking. But did you like it overall? or? I thought it was pretty good, although it kind of annoyed me how Patton didn't always listen to his commanding officers. Oh, well, do you always listen to your father? Nope. <laughs> so you could relate to that, can't you? Sure. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you thought as a soldier you should be more obedient, maybe? Mm-hmm. What do you think when he slapped that guy in the hospital? I thought it was kind of funny. Kind of funny. Well, that's not what I was expecting you to say. Do you believe that um, Patton was a easy-to-understand guy or a complicated character? He was kind of complicated, especially with his talks about, like, reincarnation and other things in that era. Yeah, I remember that. He got on that battalion battlefield and said, uh, you know, I've been here before, and it was mm-hmm. kind of weird, but kind of fascinating at the same time, I think. But um, And at the same time, do you remember he... he uh, had stayed with that dying soldier and kissed the wounded guy and all that. Yeah. Loved his men and so on. So did you like the music in Patton or the action scenes or anything especially? I thought it was pretty good except for some slow-moving parts which are like 20, 30 minutes long. The battle scenes were pretty <laughs> good though and the music was interesting. Yeah, and so that point, Anna points out here too, it is, it does get into the character of Patton. It's not a war film in terms of having lots of great battle scenes. So, um... There was the battle at El Guitar, which was, seemed a bit simplistic to me, an artillery attack that pins the Germans, and then a flank attack that, that's shown in a wide shot. Uh, at least it was easy to see and illustrated in the film for us to understand it. And the Battle of the Bulge, well, that got a lot of screen time in the film, and it was uh, some night skirmish battles. And, uh, um... Now, I thought you also enjoyed it when Patton was demoted and Bradley got the job. Do you remember that? Yeah, I kind of liked that. I didn't think that he really deserved his title. Because you felt he was kind of mean, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but overall you did like the movie, not as much as Great Escape, as we said, yes? Yes, yes, I did. 
Well, about the acting, I liked uh, Malden as Bradley and uh, George C. Scott as Patton. I thought they both did a great job. When he slapped the coward, you can really see a great George C. Scott performance. And the Germans all kind of seemed... Did the Germans to you, Adam, ever seem like different, unique, individual German people? Or do they all just seem like a standard kind of German? I guess more of a standard kind of German, except for people with higher rankings. In the army, yeah. Yeah, otherwise the soldiers were all like, it's almost as if they were cloned. Yeah, that's such, that's very well said. I kind of agree with you. It's I think in the older days they did that to the Germans because they were the enemy still. And I think films today you get a better, more subtle and nuanced um, performance of or, or depiction of German characters in these films. Uh, it's interesting to see here that um, it was kind of artsy uh, with when when Patton was praying for good weather. Do you remember that? And yeah. they juxtaposed this here against pictures of violence. Mm-hmm. And some of those scenes seemed a bit staged to me, and a, a few of those were, but it, it, I, I just was really surprised. Suddenly in this Patton film, we get this artsy thing, and he's praying for good weather, and it's to kill the enemy, and they're showing these violent scenes and so on. It, it works for its, its time period, but it seems a little art, uh, dated at this time. I thought the dialogue was mostly fine. I did make a note that the worst moment may be when the German in charge of the intelligence has to burn the documents as the Americans are coming. Do you remember he said uh, he was burning papers on Patton, and the guy comes, his his superior comes up and asks a question. He says, um, "Patton, the pure warrior," and then uh, he said, "The magnificent anachronism," as he burns Patton's photo, which seems a bit stilted here. Yeah, there was lots of good dialogue, though, I liked. Yeah, it was very good. And do you remember the very ending of the movie, what happened? He he went walking away into the distance alone, and then he was talking about this Roman triumphal victory parade. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And he says, all glory is fleeting, and that's the very last lines of the movie. And now, do you know what actually happened to Patton? Do you remember what happened to him at the end of the movie? How he died? Did he die in battle? Mm, no. Remember, there was a car accident. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it that surprised was... you? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's like a book I was reading on multicultural stuff for my literature class, and then it was about this immigrant from Ethiopia. He survived famines, sickness, raids from rebels, and war, but when he came to America... It turns out that he just got killed by a drunken driver. That happened to his son, too, who was just like the same as him. Wow, very ironic ending. And and yes. and, and we see in real life, in the in the story of Patton's life, that tragically he dies in a car accident, which just seemed like such a ripoff to me after a guy who fought in these wars, led this army, and was this, you know, gruff and tumble. They called him old blood and guts. That was his yeah. nickname, you know. Um, and he really did have those pearl-handled guns and so on and that dog and all those things we saw on the film so and then this kind of sad death but i thought the movie did a really nice job at the ending with him walking off in the distance talking about this victory parade that we know he will never get really because he never survived to come back home to america yep and have a parade so all right well that'll end our movie review thank you adam you're welcome and you can head off to bed And now it's time for what's in the box, 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 box. And today for what's in the box, we have Into the Rubble, Bounding Fire Productions. And I'm going to open this little package up right here and uh, hear that beautiful sound, boys and girls. Yes, I had to buy this one. This was not donated to us by our friends over at Bounding Fire. This is one I just could not resist getting, and when I saw Alex, Alex Key had it on a nice low price there for me, I got to, had to buy it. I originally saw this over at Games Plus in Mount Prospect, a wonderful gaming store. 
And looking at the back, I noticed that it included eight action-packed scenarios. Not ordinary scenarios, but action-packed scenarios. It has two. You know, as a side note, I remember when I started teaching, we had meetings. We had faculty meetings, and then we had department meetings. And then I, the uh, administration got rid of the department meetings. I think they didn't like the control that we tried to exert. And then faculty meetings, you know, became kind of passe. And But uh, they came up with this term called, coming up with an action plan. So you could no longer just have a plan come out of your committee or your meeting. It had to be an action plan. And simply by adding the words action to it, it's true. Suddenly, every committee ever made at my school no longer just came up with plans and then sat around on their butts. They all sprung into action immediately upon conceiving these great new concepts. But, no offense to uh, having action-packed scenarios, because most ASL scenarios are action-packed. But we have two 8 by 22 inch geomorphic map boards on the cardstock. It's got the uh, starter kit style boards. And uh, one 8 by 12 geomorphic rubbled city overlay, a factory overlay, and some debris overlays. And the rubbled city overlay fits on other official ASL city boards 1, 20, 21, 22, 45, 49, and 51. They mentioned specifically. And some rules describing new terrain, including railroad factories. So I'm looking through the products here. Let me look at the map boards first. Yeah, a nice kind of rubble city overlay. Now they have to mention that this fits on certain boards because it's got uh, the tree marks along the trees on the alternate hexes along like X10, V10, T10, and so on. And so this is similar to some overlays you got with, I think it was Kota Bushido, Bushido um, where it's like a you know, half board, third of a board, or something. So they don't fit just anywhere. But it's a beautiful piece of work. It actually looks a lot like a regular ASL board. One building I see is rubbled, has seven hexes, and uh, five of these rubbled right here. And then there's the debris between the rubble. It was originally um, introduced, I believe, if it's going to be similar to it, in the Red Barricades uh, Stalingrad modules. And so you get some really nice, nice boards here, lots of concrete buildings, high levels, street fighting here on that overlay. Now this one called Founding Fire Productions B, board B. Beautiful railroad. Absolutely gorgeous. Wait a minute. The more I look at this, the better it looks. This thing is like the end terminal. And the and the and the, 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 the railroad tracks end here. There there's a main line. I turn it upside down. So there's a main line coming in. Shooting up. Off to the right's a giant factory with some interior walls depicted. Going on further up, that's half the board. Then in the second half of the board, going through um, like Q through GG5-ish, is the rest of the railroad track, and it starts to end. And there's a section that cuts back behind it to the left to R3, and then over to the right, two hexes ending in a, by a lumber yard, of course. Fantastic. There's um, towers. Well, there's these round buildings. I think there were towers. And then spurs shoot off the end of this railroad line and there's two on the left and there's three on the right and they end in these um, buildings and terminals these long terminal shaped buildings and then it goes off the board and that gets me interested to wonder where's that going that is just gorgeous that is absolutely fantastic i'm kind of a guy who likes um uh, fountains and railroad yards and Things like that. And it looks like I got me a railroad yard here. And going to board A. Wow, lots of cover. Both these boards. Not a lot of open ground. Of course, on the board B, when the original railway line was running up 
singly, you have some open ground, but hits that city at the terminal. And then looking at BFPA, that is also fantastic. That continues the railway line through the center of the board, kind of alternating hexes, GG5, FF5, EE5, DD5, CC5, and I've noticed something interesting. The roads go over the railroad at certain spots. That must be the crossings, I guess, I'm guessing. And it continues on through the center, off to the left in mid-board. Uh, this starts to break up into a terminal in X6 all the way basically to the end of the board, B8 and so on. Um, lots of uh, spurs cutting off of this railway line with terminals all the way on the left side and a giant like railway station on the right hand side that is 10 hexes large that big and wow that is impressive that is really impressive and maybe that's what caught my eye on this in the first place because I didn't grab it right away I was feeling swamped with scenarios and uh, yeah, I see these boards on the back, and I'm looking at them going, yeah, rubble, look at that. And now these boards with the railway lines are not particularly rubbled, but they're just these fantastic railway yards. Those have to be just amazing. And then there's a very large building overlay here, as described on the back, as a large factory overlay. And that's 14, 21 hexes large. With interior walls and so on, um, man, that's a that's a piece of work. And then a whole overlay sheet with the debris overlays. And I know I needed these for another scenario I was playing from Le Franc Terreur. And I it said like put these you know debris overlays. I'm thinking where, where do I get these from? And now I got them. I bought into the rubble, and I am just excited. I mean I and this there's a photo on the back of this into the rubble. You could probably look this up online or. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll put it in the show links or something, but just twisted, twisted rail, railroad track. Like a, it looks like a roller coaster ride over here in this photograph on the back of this. So find that. If I don't post a picture, find that photo on the Bounding Fire Productions website. This is just fantastic. And, and then the scenarios. Um, I won't. I won't go over those in a tedious fashion here. Uh, there's one by Scott Holst. Into the Rubble One. And it is Chinese. It is Songkiang, China, November 1937. So this has to be against the Japanese. Yep, there they are, the Japanese. Into the Rubble. This railway line. I know this. The the. Uh, I'm guessing, but the the war. I know uh, part of. World War II was a conflict staged by the Japanese in Manchukuo. Um, and maybe this relates to that. I don't know. I'd have to do some little research. So this is not just your German-Soviet battles in Stalingrad here. Factory and Flicks, ITR2. Flick Spain, 1938. The Republican forces. Wow. Wow, against the Republicans here, and that is wow! Look at that. That that what what variety already? Now here and that was by um. Well, it was designed by Chaz Smith. Chaz Smith did uh, number three here. Two boards, and it's got the Russians and Germans. That's your good old Stalingrad. Why not get some action placed down here by the railway lines, and. Uh, Continued, uh, oh, tough as nails on the back. Now, Ed, they're both labeled ITR3. Why is this? Because it's the same scenario. Continued on the back. There you go. Maybe it's part two or something. Again, I have not looked at this. and I know some listeners hate that when we do this, but I'm trying to capture my initial reactions to this. And it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm excited. And then there's four by Chaz Smith, scenario four. And that's got Russians, Germans, Poneri, Russia, during Operation Citadel. Seems to be medium-sized also here, folks. They're all about seven turns, 
Um, I mean, there's a lot of tanks in some of these 12-plus units on on the toughest nails, and lots of, oh yeah, lots of tanks on Clash at Planary. can slow you down a little bit, but seven turns, we'll be fine. Again, it's continued on the back here. Yeah, it seems like the back sides of these, um, just to add the after action report and the special battle rules, and they continue to list the similar or same uh, mission and the uh, historical background and the options, options on the on there, seem the same as the front, but even class at, clash at Ponera, you've got foxholes, trenches, roadblocks, wire, radio, minefields, anti-tank mines. And of course, a slew of machine guns for the Russians here. And that's a whole lot of fun. Germans attacking those guys, coming in. Your course, your flamethrowers, demolition charges, also a radio. Stugs, Panzer IVs, and so on. Looks like a whole lot of fun. Uh, number five by Chad Smith Fire Teams. German American. Placed in Aachen, there you go, Aachen, Germany, and you'd see a lot of uh, rubble there. No railroads, it looks like, looking at the map, the miniature-sized map up on the scenario card. And lots of fun stuff on that one. Number six, the Ceramic Factory, Budapest, Hungary. Oh, we're all going to be playing some Budapest, huh? Soon with Festung Budapest, and now this one. German-Russian. 1945, late war. Yep, there's your JS-2s. Four of them. JS-2s. They haven't played those in a while. And ISU-152s, of course. Four of those. It's going to be a lot of uh, very uh, high firepower explosions going off in that city. And we see uh, number seven, rebounded spirit. Budapest also, 1945. That uses a railway board. And a city board, and it has your uh, Romanians, Hungarians, battling it out. And number eight, into the slaughterhouse, 1945, late war, uses the railway uh, boards again. This just looks fantastic. Russian-German, wow. Yeah, ISU-122s, yeah, two of them. Chaz Smith designed that one, number seven. And I, I don't know, I'm, uh, I, I'm kind of excited. These seem like my kind of game. These really do. I, I love this. Just uh, The boards are visually beautiful, stunning. The graphics, they, they line up real well with regular ASL boards. The scenarios, they look like they're trying to keep them relatively short, yet they're kind of loaded with some goodies. I'd imagine a lot of those would be two night games for me and my opponents, you know, just even setting up, unless you're setting up ahead of time. Good variety here. You know, you can get one one with Japanese, and you had one with, what was it, the uh, Spanish uh, Civil War, and so on. Romanians, Hungarians, and then your Stalingrad. And beautiful uh, choice, I think, of scenarios to put into this pack. And a rule sheet. Uh, I got... Papers flying all over here, ladies and gentlemen. But it looks like it's a two-page rule sheet. Is that correct? I'll try and find the back of that card. And looking at it, rules pages. Well, it might imply two. Describing the debris, which I think is going to be similar to the historical games through MMP and Avalon Hill and railroads. A lot of railroad rules. I think the original railroad rules came out with, was it, help me out here, ladies and gentlemen, Kinetic Energy, who put out a bunch of magazines. I played a whole lot of those scenarios. I think they included railroads at first, and then they appeared in an MME product uh, with another set of rules that were similar. And these rules, I think, mimic... Um, Section B32, the rules for railroad station factory, that's uh, 05. 
B32.742, 0.05.2, etc. A reference here, rooftop access points. Um, there's also storage tanks rules here. And there's uh, towers, which we've seen before here. And uh, backside debris, familiar with that. Rubbled City, the Rubbled City overlay gives some rules for laying that out, and large factory overlay. So I am excited. I think this looks like an absolutely fantastic packet of stuff here. Surprised I didn't bite on this much sooner when I originally saw it. But again, I was kind of in a point of exhaustion of having, oh, I've got so much to play through, and do I need another, another item? And this is the item that I have needed. And so... Uh, Again, the, the layout here is fantastic. Scenarios look real nice. I have to get into some of them and get back to you on uh, how well these play out. But just the components in this little packet are really, really nice. And Into the Rubble is still available right now from Bounding Fire Productions. I'll put a link up to it. It is currently $40. I think when I originally saw it, it was about $30. And $40 for uh, this pack of stuff seems to me like a pretty good deal just because I'm just in love with these railway railroad boards and all these terminals and things. Nice to have some debris overlays, big factory. like the variety of the scenarios chosen here. And real excited about it. So... You can get it at Bounty Fire Productions if you wish to at this point in time. And I am assuming, let's say I play these, love these, and, I, and I'm sure I will. In that case, I would like to see more scenarios published for the use of these fantastic boards. That's my review of Into the Rubble. Okay, boys and girls, it's Terrain Time! What? Terrain time? Now? Oh, oh, I'm not ready. Jeff, Jeff, where are you when I need you? Well, with Jeff not here, let's do something very simple and our time running short to keep this under an hour. How about terrain number one, open ground? Oh, and you think you already know everything there is to know about open ground, don't you? Well... Open ground is any hex devoid of other printed terrain features. There you go. And see, you did, <laughs> you do know everything you needed to know about open ground, didn't you? Uh, now roads. Do roads affect an open ground hex? A little impromptu quiz show. Well, yeah, because it's a road. So if you get a road bonus, then that would help you. Otherwise... You can shoot right through there. A runway hex is treated as open ground for most purposes with the additional terrain effect modifier. That's right. And prohibition against most fortifications. You can't just dig into a uh, runway. It's usually concrete or something like that. Maybe asphalt. Pressed coral shell. I don't know. Uh, shell holes. Are those open ground? Well... Only during defensive first fire and the route phase, and only if the unit moving into them paid open ground entry costs as opposed to the shell hole entry costs. Hills. Well, a hill, can it be open ground? Yeah, it can. It's just open ground that's way up there. It's way above all of us. It's higher up. Open, open, open ground. But still, if you come up on a hill... With no other terrain, it counts as open ground. Now, height advantage, you're shooting from lower ground up then, so that's different. Ooh, what about a bridge? Yeah, that's open ground. Actually, it's a road. If the line of sight of the firing unit, of course, goes through the road depiction, shooting down that bridge, not across, where you might hit the railings or the sidewalls or that kind of stuff. What about hexides? Hmm. That's got me stumped. The presence of a wall 
hedge crest or cliff hex side in an open ground hex does not change it from an open ground hex. Now I knew that. Unless, of course, what? Yep, that's right, boys and girls. Unless you sh end up shooting across the uh, hex side where you're going to hit a wall and so on. Well, Rule 1.17 states that the placement of artificial terrain in an open ground hex provides a TEM, or hindrance bonus, which negates interdiction and first fire movement open ground. What the heck does that mean? Well, they give, I don't know, they, they, they give an example here. A defensive first fire attack on a squad making an assault move into an open ground hex containing a rack does not receive a negative diro modifier for first fire movement open ground, FFMO, as otherwise known to you grog nerds. And so it gets a total of a TEM of plus one. Yeah, that's right. Artificial terrain, a wreck in the hex, and so on. I guess maybe does that include smoke? I don't know. Open ground presents no obstruction or hindrance to line of sight. Although, those hexes which are also hills, blah, 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 and artificial terrain, blah, 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 uh, use the rules for those terrain types. And what is the terrain effect modifier, ladies and gentlemen, for open ground? That's right. Neg one when moving through open ground. All right. Well, heading up on a show of 52 minutes here. Surely I'm missing Jeff, and I'm sure you are too by this point. And so I'll sign off and say, roll low. And may the dice be with you. Oh, no, that's the old one. Roll low and rally well, but not when you're playing me or my sons. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thanks for sticking with me. Bye-bye.